Welcome to the FIFA Living Football Podcast with me, Reshmin Chowdhury. Living football is a new vision, a new mission and a new FIFA. And here is what we have for you today. Brazil legend and FIFA World Cup winner, Kaká. It's Kaká! It's terrific! It's the first Brazilian goal of the 2006 FIFA World Cup Finals. It only takes a moment. It only takes an inch of a chance. Record-breaking FIFA Club World Cup referee Adina Alves Batista. Plus, we discuss President Gianni Infantino celebrating five years in charge at FIFA. We head to Thailand to find out how their football league restarted during the pandemic. And my special guest this week is a FIFA history maker. Reshmin Chowdhury on the second episode of the Living Football Podcast. We'll be with you every two weeks right up until the end of the year to discuss all things FIFA. My guest today is a former midfielder and forward for the United States women's national soccer team. She made her international debut in 1987 when she was still at high school. She played in the FIFA Women's World Cup five times. She won it twice. She competed in three Olympic Games and has two gold medals in her collection. This is quite some CV here. And she is the most capped football player in history. That's in both the men's and women's game with an incredible 354 appearances for the United States, spanning 24 years. Wow. A very warm welcome to you, Christine Lilly. How are you? you? I'm wonderful. I'm a little tired after hearing I played for 24 years. I'm like, what? I'm tired after saying it. The achievements are endless and we will be talking about them as we go along. I mean, you know, when you hear that back, you know, you're in a very different part of your life now. When you hear that back, is it just, is it strange to even listen to it? Do you even believe that it's you? It, I mean, it's it's strange and it's also hard to grasp that. It, it seemed like yesterday, but it was just so long ago that I did play and how much I enjoyed playing the game and what it offered me and what I gave to it. So I'm just grateful I had the opportunity and, uh, just hearing that I, I have to I reiterate it to my kids a lot because I have to make sure they know I did play you know <laughs> they're looking at all these these new stars coming up so we kind of have to share a little bit about mom well that's the thing isn't it you've got 354 caps for the national team 130 goals two FIFA women's world cup victories I mean that is just incredible and it's interesting to hear that because your children are Nine and 12, you mentioned. So they're two young girls. They're looking at you. Do they have any idea of who you actually are? I mean, when you're not mummy. I think they do. I think my oldest does. My youngest pays more attention to things. But my oldest now is at that stage where, you know, if she hears other people say, oh, your mom's Christine Lilly. And she's like, yeah. So like, um, but I think they do. And then they know my friends. When I when I talk about my friends, it's talk about Mia Hamm and, you know, Tish Ventrudy, Julie Gotti. And, and to me, they're friends. So everyone else is like, do you understand this is like not a normal conversation? <laughs> so they, they do a bit more. But I think what I love, too, is now they have young uh, women to look up to and, and see more. I mean, we're talking about the commitment to the women's game. And now you see the women's game so much more. And it's great for these young girls and boys to see this. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to hear so much more about that and from you, of course, Christine. And we'll be finding out your favourite FIFA World Cup moments a bit later on as well. But first, just a little explainer for all our listeners as to what Living Football actually is. Now, it was launched by FIFA earlier this month. Living Football is a strand of programming aiming to inform, educate and entertain audiences worldwide about developments in global football and updates on FIFA tournaments. This is really a new vision, a new mission, 
Edition. It's a new FIFA and it's a way of life and a commitment to the game, the people and the planet, because... Essentially, we all love football. Now, we're trying to express our commitment to the beautiful game and the role it plays in our lives. Christine, you touched on it a little just in that opener there. I mean, where do you begin to describe what football means to you? Well, I mean, it's I think anyone that plays the game knows uh, they have to have the love for it and it's part in their blood. And I think when I think back to my younger days, you know, it wasn't just the game that I loved. It was being with my teammates and we used to get oranges at halftime. You know, it's the little things as a young kid playing the game. It wasn't just about the game. It was everything else. And then obviously, as you start to play and you grow as a player and you improve and start to improve at different levels, you're like, wow, this game is so much fun to play and play with the people that are at your level of skill. When I made the national team, I was so happy to be on the team, but then I was so happy to train with other women that were just like me. Because growing up in a time when women's football wasn't very popular, I was playing with boys. So when I hit the national team, I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. All these women want to kick butt. They want to work hard. They want to win. They want to laugh. They want to have fun. And we get to travel the world. So it was more than just the game. I think it was what it came with it. And that was your teammates, your people, the fans, the support. So, I mean, the game's been a part of me since I was little and it still is to this day. Yeah, an incredible life experience. I'm sure you have so many stories. Just to, to remind our listeners, you can follow all the uh, FIFA news and, of course, news about the FIFA Living Football podcast and the TV show at FIFA.com. And the social media plugs are at FIFA.com and at FIFA World Cup. Now, we're going to start this week's show by hearing from a legend of the game. The former Brazil midfielder Kaká has been speaking to us about his favourite FIFA World Cup moment moments, the recent FIFA Club World Cup in Qatar, and his love for former clubs Real Madrid and AC Milan. However, Living Football TV host Jessica Liberts began by asking him about his plans for the future and the recent rumours linking him to another one of his former clubs, FC Sao Paulo. I love football and I wanted to learn more tools from the sport that I love, from football. So I started to do some programmes And I did one in Harvard, I did one here in Brazil, and I'm finishing my third one in Europe. I hope I can finish at the end of this year. So the moment for me is to prepare myself for my second career. And I think it's really important to have this time of preparation. But I don't have right now an official role with Sao Paulo. So I'm finishing my study, and I'm there in Sao Paulo as a lab to improve, to learn, and but I don't don't have any official hope. And taking this advantage, I want I want to also say that FIFA is launching their program for former players as well. So I think that's really nice and really important to the former players to prepare themselves to the second career, and that it's a very good initiative. That sounds quite reasonable. So what's your plan for the future? Becoming a sports director like your fellow countryman Leonardo at PSG, for example? Yes, this is the role. I, I discovered that in study, that this is the role that I, I, I most likely wants to do. So I don't want to be a coach right now. So the thing that I really like is to be a sports director. So this is the what I'm preparing myself to do. Okay, if you could choose... Which club would you prefer, AC Milan or Real Madrid? Oh, very difficult question. <laughs> uh, yes, I, I cannot. I cannot choose just one because uh, it's a different club, different country, different supporters, different people. Both of 
clubs was amazing in, in my life in my career so I it's really hard to, to decide between them so I love both clubs well at AC Milan there's also Paolo Madini your former teammate but speaking of Milan I've checked your date of birth and I realized Slatan Ibrahimovic is one year older than you I mean Time to put your shoes back on, huh? <laughs> yes, Zlatan is one year uh, older than me. I think he's, he, he was born in 1981 and I was born in 1982. And he's still playing. That's really amazing that he keeps scoring, he keeps uh, leading uh, a big club as a Milan, fighting for the Scudetto. But for me, it's completely different. I, my time on the field was over in three years ago, and I'm pretty sure that I'm, I'm very happy with the place that I'm right now. You won the FIFA World Cup in 2002, and you played at the FIFA World Cups in Germany and in South Africa. So which was your most memorable World Cup moment, Kaká? Actually, I have two. One is the, my debut against Costa Rica in 2002, so my first game that my when I, I stepped on the, the field and I played 23 minutes. And the second one is when you lift it up, the, the trophy, when you, you hold the World Cup in your hand and you lift it up and you say, I, I did it. This is uh, a forgettable moment. Of course, I, I, I had a lot of good moments in World Cup after in 2006, then 2010. But when you hold the World Cup and you lift it up and say, Okay, I did it. It's, it's, it's incredible. It's amazing. So you were part of the first FIFA World Cup in Asia and the first in Africa. What do you think? What role can hosting major tournaments play in developing football? Oh, it's really important for the country to understand that you are hosting one the biggest event in the world. So you have to take advantage of this great opportunity to develop not just football, but also for the country to leave a legacy for the, the people of that, that country. I think this is really, really important. And of course, after that, you can keep developing your football and supporting and waiting for and praying for to host another World Cup. I don't know if I'm going to see another World Cup in Brazil, but it was amazing and unbelievable. We keep our fingers crossed. In 2007, you were the World Player of the Year and your team back then at AC Milan that included yourself, Ronaldo, Pirlo, Inzaghi and many more incredible players seemed kind of unbeatable, probably like Bayern Munich today. They recently won the FIFA Club World Cup Qatar 2020, another piece of precious silverware, speaking about Robert Lewandowski. If you could compare him to any other player, who would that be? Oh, it's, I, I think it's hard to say, to compare him, because he's, he's different from the other uh, forwards. He's very unique. He's, he can play a little bit of the, the box and, of course, uh, inside the box is uh, a phenomenon. So it's it's hard to compare him to, to other players because he's very unique. What did you think about the performance of Palmeiras, the Copa Libertadores winner? As a Brazilian, I was supporting Palmeiras to arrive at least in the final. Of course, plays against uh, Bayern Munich in the final. It's it's really hard, but I, I, I expected that Palmeiras could arrive there. And this is a, an alert for a Brazilian football as well. Because it seems that we are being so far from the European teams and getting close to the other nations that 
was far from us. So it's a, a little bit an alert for us and it's time to, to wake up and, and, and improve it. What a player, what an ambassador Kaká is for the game. How important is it for legends like Kaká, legends like yourself, to sort of help young children develop their skills, not just on the pitch, but as you talked about, the team element as well, off the pitch as well? Well, I think it's it's important to reach the grassroots, we call it here in the U.S., young people, um, and give them the opportunity to, to play the game. I was fortunate enough to meet Kaká in the past couple of years due to FIFA and bringing legends together. And I first want to say that being a part of the FIFA's legends is incredible because I'm getting to meet these players that I was watching while I was playing, you know, and, and you see how well, how great they were on the field. And then you meet them and see what great people they are. And that's what Kaká was. He was genuine in meeting me and, you know, just his commitment to the game when he played it, but this commitment now to um, reaching young people, and helping spread the love of the game is, is awesome. And I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate to be a part of it and, and got to spend some time with him and continue this growth for football for young people. Yeah, absolutely. I actually worked with Kaká for a year. I used to work at Real Madrid, so I was there when he arrived at the club. Just such a lovely, sort of mild-mannered, really just a, a wonderful guy to have around, isn't he? Um, he also mentioned the FIFA Club World Cup there. Um, what did you yeah. make of the competition in Qatar this year? Well, you know, I got to see it a, a couple of years ago, so the fact that it happens again, it, it's great. I think what's so neat about it is you're bringing these top club teams from all over the world to play. I mean, normally you see the countries coming in for a FIFA World Cup, but this is different. And I mean, obviously, Bayern uh, winning that over uh, Tigers from Mexico. I mean, who when do you get a chance for a club from Mexico to play a club from Germany? I mean, that's awesome. Um, and obviously, you can see the the um, game was close 1-0, but the growth that Germany's had in, in football overall, men's and women's, and then you see Mexico's growth. I mean, having a team in this club championship was incredible. So I think it's exciting. I think it's something that I think on the women's side is something we would love to get to. And I think that's in talks as well. Oh, fantastic. And just on the note of Kaká, you talked about him as a person, but, you know, he's actually one of only eight players to have won get this for a CV as well. It's quite similar to yours, actually. He's won the FIFA World Cup, the UEFA Champions League and the Ballon d'Or. When you look back at his career, how good was he? He was great. I mean, he's just smooth on the ball. And I think when I think about playing and seeing players, you want players just to be able to play smoothly. You're not stressing. He was just smooth. He was um, just a great all-around player. And I think I wish I met him while he was playing because I would just love him even more on the field. Um, being a U.S. player and watching Brazil, you weren't always like a huge fan of Brazil, but I am a huge fan of him and uh, just a solid, solid player, solid human being. And look, look what he accomplished. I mean, just rattle off the, not many players, let alone one get one of those. And look what he did, you know, with all of them. Yeah, he was just phenomenal, wasn't he, to watch? And mm-hmm. and he celebrated in such a humble way as well. Yeah, lovely, lovely, lovely character, Kaká. OK, well, this week, and this is something you'll be very interested in, Christine, the FIFA president Gianni Infantino celebrated five years in office and one of his main goals was the promotion of women's football and gender equality. Um, now, the development of women's football has been a crucial objective of FIFA's over the past five years, as we've said, under Infantino. How have you seen the game grow during this period, especially when you look at the success? For me, I mean, I think it's the, the pinnacle was really the FIFA Women's World Cup 2019 in France. That was on a, It just took it to a different level, didn't it? It did. And I think that's what's so exciting uh, for myself and many other players that have played in the past to see where it is now. And obviously, we always want it bigger than where it is now. But we're from the 2019 World Cup when I was over there for the semis and finals, just to see the growth of the game, not only on the field, 
but off the field. I mean, I think they had more people wanting to buy stuff and they ran out of stuff. You know, it's one of those things that women's football is here. You're, you can't push it away anymore. It's here. You got the great talent of players playing. In 2019 was the biggest field of teams that we've had. And that gives countries like Thailand, first time in there, a chance to have that stage. And then when they get that stage and then they go back home, their uh, governing bodies going to be like, shoot, we need to invest in this because we want our players to make a bigger impact than they did in that, in that last World Cup. So it makes such a difference to keep growing the game and giving these countries that haven't had the opportunities to be on that that World Cup stage. And uh, I was I wanted to step on the field, but I, I was like, this is so exciting. And then to play in the venues that they had set up was phenomenal. I mean, I was only in Lyon the whole time, but it was it was just phenomenal. And I think FIFA's vision to continue to grow the game is really important. And it was an incredible tournament. I was out there as well, presenting some games there. And it was just, the atmosphere was incredible, actually, the way that the country took to the to the tournament and internationally as well. I mean, FIBA's target is for all of its 211 member associations to have women's football strategies by 2022. So that's not far mm. away. And that's all part of this drive to make football truly global. How important is it for you to increase that competitiveness between national teams across the world? Because obviously you get different levels, as you say, Thailand, you know, making their debut but you know you have to start somewhere but how do you kind of make sure that the games are competitive and good to watch yeah I mean you just got to give keep giving opportunities and I think you know they're reaching these um, countries that haven't had the opportunities and it's not just saying okay you guys can compete in a FIFA World Cup it's okay we're going to generate or put money aside here and when you get that money this is what you need to do with it so it's not only just giving them the finances to create more opportunities for the girls in these countries, but also finding things that they, they have to do with the money. You know, sometimes they get the money like, oh, we'll put it here. But you got to give it to the grassroots. You got to give women's leagues um, all over the world, you know, give these players to play in their leagues at home. So that increases their ability on the field and, and more players to play. And then you give them the big stage of the FIFA World Cup. So it, it is so, so important because there are those players. There's a Marta out there in Thailand and there's a, you know, all over the world, there's an Alex Morgan out there that hasn't had the opportunity and we need those players to have the opportunity. Absolutely. Um, well, the first editions of the tournament featured 12 nations in 2023, we're looking forward to having 32 nations competing. That will be for the very first time. You know, can you even put into words how big a step that is for women's football? That is, that's huge. That's going, I mean, 12, I was there for the 12 teams that were in the 91, you know, and we, and back then we played every other day. So we played a game, day off, game, day off, game. So, I mean, we were done with the World Cup, I think in two weeks. Um, so now to have this field of 32 teams is incredible. And I think people have to see, they're going to be like, oh, well, U.S. is going to play a team that's never been like, yeah, they might. But what it's going to do for that country is by far more than just that game that we're seeing. You know, so I think it's really, really important to continue this growth for the women's game and um, to give opportunities. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, absolutely. And well, the next FIFA Women's World Cup will be played across two confederations for the very first time. That's Australia and New Zealand. Um, tell us about what you know about the appetite for promotion of women's football out there and for women's sport in general. Well, I think, you know, after we hosted in 1999 and and that was a time in the U.S. when people didn't really, you know, soccer wasn't that big. I think the MLS, our pro league started in 95 after the World Cup. For the men so we still were going out and pretty much knocking on doors and say hey 
you know, the World Cup's coming, World Cup coming, are you going to come watch, you know, so we were doing, not only were we doing our training to be ready to play when we had to step on the field, but then we were going to practices with kids and surprising them, they're like, oh my gosh, there's Christine and Mia, and we're saying, hey, you guys, you know, we're training too for this World Cup, so I think in Australia, New Zealand, it's going to be similar, I mean, I think the game's grown a lot more than it was in 99, so it's not going to be like, oh yes, we are the U.S. and we do play in a World Cup, they, they know about the Australian team, and the Australian team has done a great job, New Zealand's growth in the game has been incredible since back in the time when I played and to have it in both those countries I think is going to be pretty cool let alone it's on the other side of the world from everyone so I think it's going to be a great trip for everyone fans players to to go over there and, and compete in this World Cup. Nice little holiday for everyone okay still to come we'll be hearing from a groundbreaking referee and finding out how Thailand were able to restart their football league during the pandemic. I'm Julio Caesar and you are listening to FIFA's Living Football Podcast. Well, continuing the Brazilian theme of the show, we can now hear from the record-breaking referee, Adina Alves Batista. Now, her story is really quite remarkable. Adina actually worked as a soil collector in southern Brazil as a teenager. She was filling up sacks with soil for a very modest wage. She used her spare time to play futsal and officiate football matches. And earlier this month, from there, she now became the first woman in history to referee at a senior FIFA men's tournament. Living Football's Jessica Liberts started by asking Adina how refereeing at the recent FIFA Club World Cup felt. It was the most incredible experience for me. I'm grateful to FIFA for the experience. On behalf of myself, Nayuza and Mariana, to lead a trio of women at the senior World Cup level was a great source of pride and responsibility. How proud are you that you were breaking ground for women referees in a senior men's competition? Women are capable. Women fight, women conquer. To represent this battle and this dream for women really is a great source of pride for me. I'm also to send greetings from my personal friend Bibiana Steinhaus, also a top referee, who said you are not only extremely talented, but also warm-hearted and a fantastic person. Do you feel solidarity in between female referees? I admire Bibiana greatly. She's a great referee and she's an example for us all to follow. To hear that from her is a dream come true. I admire her a lot. I see myself in her. There are no differences in your approach to refereeing big men's games or women's games. In preparation, the tests are different. To officiate a women's game, the times required aren't as fast. To officiate a men's game, the times required are faster. You have to meet the physical demands. When you do fitness tests for men's games, the times are faster for runs, the amount of time you have. For women's games, you have more time. The only difference is that the parameters for the women's game are easier than for the men's. That helps you progress and officiate men's games. Fitness is very important, especially for us as women officiating men's tournaments. Absolutely. And you look incredibly fit. What's your daily sports program? I was part of the last World Cup process. From then, I dedicated everything to my fitness. We have Joao Batista, Jamie who works with us, and Karen for the World Cup. They all train with us directly. We have five types of training session, and we only have four days off a month. We have to log everything that we do in the referee portal. There's no time for rest. We train every day except match days. We have to complete everything required for us to be fit. They can see where we are because we wear polar watches. 
All the information is transferred from there to the portal, and so they know everything that we do in training. Wow. I mean, that sounds tough. So what's your next goal, the FIFA World Cup 2022? My next goal, if God permits, is to make it to the Olympics, if God should so wish. I hope that the virus can be controlled and that we can get back to normal life, the new normal. I hope the Olympics go ahead. My objective is to work. Who knows? I might get called up to the Olympics. The 2022 World Cup is a dream. I can't influence that. I can influence work on the pitch, training, dedication and being ready if I'm called. It would be an honour and a dream come true for me. Not just for me, but for all women. Adina, is there anything you would like to tell young girls and women all over the world? What's your message? Many people will try to put you off and try to make you lose interest, but many people will be on your side. You know the truth, you know your dreams, you know your fight. It's not easy, but everything is changing. Every drop of sweat counts. My message to every girl out there is don't give up on your dreams, no matter how many people say you won't make it. Fight for them. Don't let obstacles get in the way of all your dreams. Everything is possible if you have dedication, determination, love and faith. But, but Adina, I just heard you want to add something according to the ceremony after the FIFA Club World Cup final. I wanted to speak to everyone about the award ceremony. It was a very happy moment for me, but I was saddened by what was published, things that aren't true. In that moment, our president, Infantino, congratulated us, me and my two assistants, for our work and the game, which was very good. He told us to continue our work. I was really happy to hear that from him. Then I received my medal. That moment was a dream come true. All my happiness and elation, they were really happening in my life. I was there. I received it. I was in awe. Unfortunately, in that moment, I didn't get to greet the sheikh, who was standing to one side. I was so happy in that moment that I left, admiring my medal. I went to where people were getting their picture taken. I didn't want people to make up lies about that. I was saddened to know that media outlets were saying those things about the award ceremony. It's not true. The only thing the president said was that we should continue working as we have done. He said we did well in the tournament. Imagine hearing your boss say that you worked well, you and your team, and then receiving a medal in that moment, one that you dreamt about so much, and at a men's tournament as well. It was a huge moment for me. I was so happy that I just walked out to take pictures with my team of officials. So I wanted to say to everyone, thanks for worrying about all of us women, but it's not true. I want the first female participation in a men's tournament to be about happiness and truth. The truth is that our president congratulated us in that moment. It was a very happy moment for us. Thank you, everyone. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Adina. You're a wonderful role model for young women and girls all over the world. You have a great spirit. You're a great referee. It's a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. The pleasure is all mine. Thank you. I appreciate your affection towards me. Thank you to our president, Infantino. At the award ceremony, he congratulated me and my team. It was a very touching moment when he said that we were fantastic, that we had worked well and should continue to do so. Me and my assistants, Nayuza Back and Mariana. It was a touching moment. I received my medal and then I heard that from the president. It was such a happy moment for me. It was a unique moment and I'm grateful. I'm grateful to FIFA, to all my coaches who helped me get there, to everyone who believed in me and believed in my work. Thank you.
Asking Adina the questions in that interview was the Living Football TV show's host, Jessica Liberts, and I'm delighted to say she joins us now. Jessica, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Uh, we've just heard that interview with Adina. Um, you know, her story is absolutely remarkable, what she's achieved as a as an individual. What was she like as a person? Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, this interview was absolutely amazing to me because she is such a wonderful person and she's warm-hearted she is inspiring Uh, she was such an amazing woman she broke the ground for so many girls and I think if you see the way she grew up the way she developed her skills and now what she did on the field what she did now at the FIFA Club World Cup this is groundbreaking this has never been done before and I think she deserves all the credits and really she's such a lovely person you just love to talk to her I mean she's inspiring and it's just wonderful no oh, those are the things you love to hear about people who achieve those kind of things but they're just such warm-hearted individuals as well I mean look we're two episodes into living football now and you've presented two of the tv shows tell us what the aims are of living football well first of all you know the studio uh but this is kind of this is what's really new about it because we are opening the doors to the home of FIFA in a time where people cannot travel everywhere, in a time where people cannot go to the stadium, in a time where the football world has to stand together. And we are opening the doors to FIFA's headquarters to show FIFA in a way you've never seen before. And I think it's a great studio. I mean, you did a great job at the Best Awards and I mean, you saw it before and now, you know, we tuned it up a little bit. It's it's even more beautiful and you have to imagine this is FIFA's entrance hall. This is where 800 people are usually going to work when they're not in home office like today. <laughs> but this is where FIFA breathes and FIFA lives and this is where living football comes from so that makes totally sense and we want to invite people to come to us and we want to show them inspirational stories of football but you know that if you speak to a FIFA World Cup winner if you speak to people who had such great achievements like Edina now it's wonderful and it's you can see FIFA in a new way and it's the beautiful face of football. Yeah, I completely agree with you. It's kind of the personalities behind all the kind of the the gloss on the outside, isn't it? It's really getting to know people on the inside. That um, first episode was fantastic. You presented that with Jelson Fernandez, didn't you? Tell us a little bit about what we looked at then, because that was during the FIFA Club World Cup in Qatar. Oh, yes, of course. I mean, the FIFA Club World Cup was the first FIFA tournament since the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic. And it was also kind of a silver lining that some fans at least were in the stadium and you felt like football was coming back to life. And um, we had an interview with the FIFA president, Gianni Infantino. Um, we spoke with Xavi Hernandez, who lives in Qatar now for five and a half years or something. He, he, he was ending his glittering career as a player there. And then he started his, again, successful career as a coach. Um, yeah, he's first in the league and I, I think he's completely unbeaten uh, this season. And they made him an offer, you know, in 2020 to coach Barcelona. And he said, ah, I'm not ready. But I think um, he's preparing right now. So he's an amazing guy and he's really a great coach. What have you sort of personally enjoyed about 
creating the show so far? Well, it was kind of a long journey because um, when I sat down with Johnny Infantino like half a year ago and it was actually it was kind of his idea, this TV show. But then, you know, we, we, we just had an idea and we needed some more flesh on the bone you know we brought a producer in and and someone to build the studio which was Florian Vida who is um, building studios for tv stations all over the world for example for the every year for the Eurovision Song Contest he is doing the studio on the stage so we brought him in and we tried to you know put this show together step by step and right now well, for me, it's kind of unbelievable, you know, that from an idea to a real TV show, we just did it. You know, it's like I, I, I felt like this. It was like the Kamala Harris moment. You know, we did it. You know, we did it. We did it. <laughs> and you have, and, which is fantastic. <laughs> That's so and, wonderful to know. It's lovely to know how the idea came about. And here you are presenting it now when we're doing the podcast as well, which is fantastic. Jessica, it's been so wonderful to talk to you. Jessica Libitz is, of course, the presenter of the Living Football TV show. And you can watch the latest episode of that. Please head to FIFA.com or go to the FIFA TV YouTube channel. Now, Christine, that is quite an incredible story there. Um, what are your thoughts on the uh, sort of global development of women's refereeing? It's such an open and exclusive way, inclusive, I should say, way of thinking when it comes to appointing officials for FIFA tournaments. And this is quite a landmark, isn't it? It is. And I think if you look at everything that we're doing on the women's side of football, whether it's, you know, playing on the field or refereeing or coaching, you know, the opportunities need to be there for the women. And I believe, I mean, she's breaking barriers um, right now, Adina. I mean, it's incredible. She probably feels the weight of the world on her, but what she did doing that game, it's changing, changing people's views on women referees. And I think that's important. I remember when, uh, when I did the FIFA best awards uh, we had uh, the secretary general of the french football federation laura george up on stage with us of course you'll know laura and uh, she was talking so glowingly about her pride of having the likes of stephanie frappart officiating a uefa champions league group match last mm-hmm. season as well this all happened in the same year it's all kind of it feels like there's a there's a movement i guess in some ways it could have come sooner but the point is that it happened right it, it is it's important obviously we always want sooner things to happen for the women's side of things i mean here in america too it's happening in american football we're getting um referees we're getting coaches that are female so i think the mindset of society all around the world is changing in a more positive way for women opportunities at any level of sports whether player coach referee manager owner um we have a lot of we have new owners in our women's pro league here that are all females so it's it's exciting and exciting and the thing about it it's like we don't want just moments. We want this just to be a common discussion. It should be just common talk now from now on. And we got women in there. So now let's just continue to get the right qualities that you need. You know, you have to be, you, you have to have the ability to do it. So if you have, if it's a woman or man, hey, woman can do it, let her do it. It's all about the opportunity, isn't it? Okay, we're going to head all the way to Southeast Asia now. Clearly, the global pandemic has had a huge impact on football across the world, but FIFA has been able to help. The FIFA COVID relief plan has made $1.5 billion available to assist the football community throughout the pandemic. In Thailand, the relief plan has had an immediate effect, as Richard Connolly explains. The spread of COVID-19 around the world has hit the football industry hard and the Thai league has been no exception. 
Good morning, my name is Siwakorn Pudom. Uh, I am the FIFA referee and also AFC Irit referee. It has been a long time, six months after football has been stopped. But for sure, the life, the football should be going on. Yeah, for me, we prepare a lot. We have to change a little bit our life, but we are ready. We are ready to restart. Since the approval of the FIFA COVID-19 relief plan last year, over 150 FIFA member associations have made applications for funding. In Thailand, the relief plan has had an immediate effect, with the domestic league back up and running. Siwakorn Jaku Prasat captains Port Authority FC. I'm very happy to be able to play again because I'm a football player. I really want to come back to the field. And during the lockdown period when I had to stop practicing, it made me feel very bored. The FIFA COVID-19 relief plan funded testing of all players and match officials prior to the restart of competitive action and supported the implementation of VAR. General Somyot Pumpanmong is the president of the Football Association of Thailand. FIFA funding came at the right time and the Football Association of Thailand was able to use this funding to develop VAR systems, improve the football organizations and provide benefits for footballers. FIFA always works behind to support the member association to create the entertainment football, but until now we get the problem because of this pandemic. But FIFA never left us behind. Players, officials and fans have been delighted at the restart of the Thai League and the FIFA COVID-19 relief plan will continue to help football associations across the globe. Christine, that was such an interesting story there. I guess it, you know, it really shows FIFA's commitment to increasing global competitiveness. And this relief plan is so important to support the smaller nations who have been hit disproportionately and so hard in this pandemic. It is. And I think, you know, this is this is what makes people human, um, helping others that need it. And FIFA's taken this opportunity to reach these um, countries that don't have the resources that a lot of the countries do. And so by making this uh, foundation to help or relief fund is so important. And I think, you know, you already see the benefits that Thailand's having before. And I think that's the impact that people can have outside of the game of soccer to help in these situations. So I think it's it's really important. And I bet you there's a lot of other countries out there that can need some help as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, FIFA's focus is in limiting the impact of the virus on football's sort of viability, as you were just sort of touching on there, financial and otherwise. I mean, what is the importance of that leadership on the women's game and to support the infrastructure there as well? I mean, it's like I always talk about, it. it's so important. You got you to gotta give the finances. I mean, we always talk money is always the biggest talk of everything, but the finances make things work. And the, the opportunity that smaller nations have on the women's side of any um, nation, they need the finances to start. So I think that FIFA's initiative in this fund is great. I think continuing to support these smaller countries and the women's program is important. And and it all comes down to being seen. So we just talked about um, Adina, the referee, you know, she's being seen. So now they're like, oh, okay, women ref. So the more that you see women playing soccer, the more that we're financing these resources to give 
these countries the opportunity to hire the right people to help the women's game grow is so important. And in these times, helping these countries that are not getting the resources to be able to handle a pandemic of this level that we've had is extremely important. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Christine, you know what? It's uh, been wonderful to talk to you. However, we cannot let you go without talking about some of your career highlights. I'm going to repeat it again because it is extraordinary. Um, 354 international appearances over 24 years. Uh, that's more than anyone in the men's and women's game. Christine, you keep blowing my mind every time I say those words. Um, you know, that's longevity of ever I've seen it, 24 years. I mean, that's people's lifetimes and they achieve a lot in 24 years. What do you think was the key behind your longevity in the game? Shoot, I mean, that's the that's the recipe we're all looking for, right? Um, I think, you know, one thing I... Uh, a tribute to my career as my grandma on my dad's side. Um, she lived to be 92 and she never had a driver's license. So she walked everywhere. So I think in the family genes, I had that already in there, but I think that comes with everything. People have something that's God given, but I think it's what you commit to it. And I think throughout my career, committing myself to my fitness, um, being able to be on that field for most of my career, I think 85% of the games I started or even more and being able to be on the field. But then in the same aspect for me, I'm able to help my teammates because the goal isn't for me just to be on the field. My goal is to help my teammates be successful. And so I just had a lot of great support from family and friends. My teammates were my biggest inspiration because you wanted to always uh, have their respect. And um, I made sure that I was ready every time I came into camp the best I could be and really just had a lot of fun. And I think the fun is the one thing we're missing now. And I think in in youth sports, we're just focused on the training when really it should be fun. These kids need to know that the game is a joy to play. Yeah, it's do what you love, isn't it? That goes back to the same thing, isn't it? And okay, well, let's uh, put you on the spot here. If you could pick out one moment as the highlight of your career, and we're talking, you know, FIFA World Cups, we're talking two Olympic gold medals. Which one would you pick out as the highlight of your career? Ah, That's hard. Uh, That's really hard. But I think I mean, obviously, the 1999 World Cup here in the, in the U.S. was huge because not only did we win in a dramatic story, book ending of penalty kicks, um, but we changed the views of people's minds on women's soccer. And that was a big change here in America for soccer. Um, I remember I had, you know, 80 year old men after that. I was playing golf and they're like, did you play on that team? Like, yes. And then he's like, did you take your shirt off? I was like, oh, that was amazing. And then you had young kids and then you had people like getting ready to go on an airplane, right? When we were taking penalty kicks and they're like, we didn't want to get on the plane and we had to. And then the pilot comes on and says, US won and the whole plane goes nuts. So I think for me, the game, uh, I mean, winning is always great, but I think to, to change and be an impact on society like that was something that I didn't know what was happening. And when you look at it, get back at it now, I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. That's incredible. I mean, to have that kind of impact and, you know, to you're inspiring gen- generations and you're going across the generations as well, which is incredible. I mean, what was going through your mind when you stepped up to take the penalty, which basically put you in the shootout? <laughs> yeah, you know, I tell this story and I was I was the third kicker for our team. Um, Carla went first and Joy. And the, both those kickers are right footed and they went to the goalies left and the goalie dove right. And I'm coming up on my third and right after our keeper made a save. So if I score this, we're up. I'm like, Oh gosh. So I was going to shoot to the goalies, right. And I was like, shoot, she's diving that way. Do I switch? And I said, no, stick with what you know. So I stuck with what I know. And I tell you from that mid stripe, getting to that penalty spot was the longest walk of my life. Um, minus my wedding maybe um, but <laughs> but I remember walking and putting that ball down and the 90,000 people I didn't hear 
and people talk about athletes in a zone. I was in the zone and I put it down. I took my kick. It goes in and then I hear the roar of the crowd. So, uh, you know, one lesson to learn I share with the kids, don't change, go with what your gut has, what you feel good about and just do it the best you can. Yeah, that's a very good advice as well. And something that I think is finally being talked about now more than it ever has before. And I'm for one as a mother of two, I'm very happy about that, even though I'm not an athlete. And, you know, for you yourself, you went back to the national team in 2008 following the births of your daughter. We're seeing, you know, Alex Morgan these days coming back to, you know, and her body's getting used to playing again your body changes when you when you're pregnant Katie Chapman in the UK she was the Arsenal captain she went back after having children how much of a challenge is it physically and mentally to go back onto the field of play after you've had kids yeah oh shoot I had mine later in my career um and I think I think the the physical part's a little bit easier than the mental part because you've been away for a year from the team and you can do the training. And a lot, I bet you all these moms were training up to their eighth month. You know, they were doing some sort of running still. I mean, I did up to eight months. Um, It was obviously calmed down a little bit, but, and then coming back. So physically I was there, but then getting your touch back, feeling confident, fitting back in with the team being at the same level that you were when you left is hard. Um, Alex came in her, I mean, she played in this last game at the, she believe cup here in the U S and I think it was her first full game back and she started and it was great to see. And obviously she wasn't spot on, but she was there and she was competing and that's what it takes to get over those humps. So the more that they're going to be training and practice, um, playing games in their pro leagues, um, it's going to make them an easier kill back in, but it is different. The, the one thing I love about um, being a mom when I was still playing is when I'd come off the field, if I had a good game, a bad game, it didn't matter. I had to go pick up my baby, feed her, change her diaper. It just didn't matter what happened. And, and for me, it was like, oh, it didn't matter what happened on the field after that. So it's kind of a neat thing. And I think now we'll just bring this up. There are so many women that are continuing to play with babies. And I think it's so important. I don't think there's been a, Ever since Joy Fawcett on our team in the 90s had kids, I think there's been a mom on the team ever since. It's so important, isn't it, to show that it's possible to do that, Um, you know, Mm. to keep continuing your career and that having children doesn't stop that. Because often, you know, that's still a a myth that exists, I think, in a lot of areas of work. Um, You you scored, as we keep saying, an incredible 130 goals for the US. Can you even pick a favourite? I do. I do have a couple of Ah, nice. A couple. Well, I remember my first goal in 1987 when I was 16 in China. It was like a half volley, which was unbelievable. Uh, and then I remember uh, my PK that we just talked about in 99. And then in the 2003 FIFA World Cup, when we played the third place game against Canada, I hit this ball. It was bouncing back and I just hit it and it kind of bent in this corner. And once I hit it, I knew it was going in and I was probably at the top of the 18. Um, and then one of my favorite goals was also in the 2003 World Cup. Uh, we were playing Sweden in the first round. Got this great ball back from Mia. Someone played into her. She laid it back to me and I drilled it and hit the back netting. It went crazy. But the cool thing about it is we were just practicing that and practice the day before. So there was a lot of great moments. I remember my last goal I scored. So I remember my first and my last and, uh, all the, all of them helped my team be successful. So that's really what the great part is. No, absolutely. And it's been a wonderful ride. I mean, since retiring, you've now set up the Christine Lilly Soccer Academy, and that's really to help something that you've spoken so passionately about, you know, supporting grassroots soccer across the UK. Yeah. It's kind of very in, in line with sort of the living football philosophy as well. How has it felt for you seeing this grow and help inspire the next generation of footballers? Yeah, well, what's neat, the, 
the Christine Lewis soccer camp that I started, I started in like the mid nineties and um, I was doing it while I was playing and I'd always do a week back in my hometown. So I was kind of giving back to where I grew up. And now that I'm in my 25th year, uh, now I'm getting players that were in my camp that email me that they want to coach at the camp. So for me, kids remember the camp. They had a fun and we have a World Cup at the end and they remember winning or losing that. But then they want to come back and be a part of it again. So that for me is a is something that's really hit home and I feel good about. And just for the kids, it's just giving them an opportunity to be themselves. You know, I'm not worried about mistakes. I'm not worried about winning or losing. I'm not worrying about which team you're going to be picked for. I just want them to go out and play and grow as players and feel better when they leave the field. You know what? Women's football is in such a great state right now through your own endeavors mm-hmm. and the endeavors of your teammates. This is a great stat. Over 82 million watched the FIFA Women's World Cup final between the USA and the Netherlands. That mm. sounds incredible, probably unimaginable when you started. No, it's so it's so incredible. And I think and that's what I'm saying is when you when you can be visible, you know, you want to be seen so that they're seeing this World Cup. They're seeing these women compete. They're seeing Thailand, whose next World Cup appearance, they're going to be even better. And it's making such an impact on the growth of the game. It's wonderful to see. Christine, you know what? You are a FIFA legend and it's been so wonderful to have you with us because that is all we've got time for for this week. We hope you, the listeners, have enjoyed the show. Make sure you join us in a couple of weeks' time for episode three where we'll be speaking to another FIFA legend. Please subscribe to us via your favourite podcast provider and don't forget to write a review as well. Remember to head to FIFA.com to watch the Living Football TV show and for comprehensive coverage of all FIFA tournaments and initiatives. And if football and music are your thing, you can listen to the FIFA Play On podcast, which is hosted by One Direction's Liam Payne. But until next time, from me and from Christine, it's goodbye.